1: Welcome, everyone, to another Baseball America podcast, along with J.J. Cooper down in Orlando. I am John Manuel, recently returned to Raleigh-Durham in our lovely Durham office here at Baseball America World Headquarters. I want to remind you that Baseball America, it's book season, uh, the best season of the year, and what makes a better Christmas gift than a Baseball America book, especially the almanac, uh, the directory, the prospect handbook. Uh, all of our books are available at baseballamerica.com slash store, the first Book that you could receive will be the OMIC. That's the one that's done. Prospect handbook will be ready in time for your fantasy draft, and uh, the directory in time for your spring training trips. So, so very excited at BaseballAmerica.com as we get close to uh, the midway point of book season. Everyone's excited about the end of the handbook, and uh, of course Josh Leventhal will then get to take over for the 2014 directory. So, but uh, the talk of the week, of course, is the Major League Winter Meetings. And the minor league winter meetings all happening down. Baseball winter meetings happening down in Orlando, at the Swan and Dolphin. JJ took us both a, uh, a little bit of time to figure out which one was the Swan and which one was the Dolphin. Then we realized, oh wait, it's the one with the giant dolphin on it, and the one with a giant swan on top. So who, who said um, very logical people? <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. Or observant. A, it was a fun short, fun short trip for me. And you're taking the extended trip. You're going to be there through the Rule Five draft. You definitely have Rule Five syndrome. You're well past the fever. But uh, real quick, JJ, what besides the Rule 5, has any other move down there in the winter meetings kind of really grabbed your fancy, uh, really in- intrigued you, or are you just so deep down the Rule 5 wormhole that you can't look out?
0: I have tried to notice the other stuff going on, too. Um, it's funny. I'm glad I didn't have to be part of the Scott Boris Scrum. You know, that's not really something that we have to cover, but apparently it was epic in the number of people gathered around, unable to hear them because they were in Row 8 of the, uh, the scrum, but I mean, we both, it's not a major deal, but the Billy Burns trade, uh, Jerry Blevins for Billy Burns. I think we both are, uh, are kind of Billy Burns fans. Not that he's going to be some yep. giant difference maker or anything, but uh, I think he has a pretty good chance to be uh, a useful backup outfielder in the big leagues. And maybe I'm selling him short. I don't, you know, I, I, is that kind of what you see Burns as, or you see him maybe as a little bit more.
1: I see him as a nice, useful fourth outfielder, but I mean, I love, He's a grinder and he runs, and uh, I think he has a. I think he's going to be a big leaguer. Uh, um, but, you know, Jerry Blevins and the Nationals were not shy about the fact that they wanted a left-handed relief pitcher. So um, I, I think in total, even though I like Burns, I, the Nationals have really had a really good offseason. The Doug Fister trade, obviously, I mean, I think that – I thought they won that trade. I think that – I understand some of the reasons why Detroit did it, but I thought that Washington – and came out very well in that deal, and in general, the Nationals have had a good postseason. So that was just another little piece. Uh, you know, I really thought they i thought they were going to be a hundred-win team in 2013. I—I I don't think I was alone in that, I, and that they were a natural bounce-back candidate team anyway uh, in 2014. Now I really feel like they've solidified themselves um, as potentially the best team in the National League. I—I'm I, very bullish on the Nationals again. So, uh, and we'll see if Matt Williams can. Uh, Marshal that uh, talent into a winning uh, into a contender before September, because last year they really like, did not play inspired baseball until September. So another trade, obviously, that I think that was interesting to us was the the, the Trumbo trade and Angels, White Sox, Diamondbacks trade. I, I I like what the Angels got out of that. I mean, I don't think it's a sure thing, but they don't have pitching in their farm system. They're built to win now, and they got two cost cost-controlled pitchers, with some big league experience in Santiago and Skaggs for Mark Trumbo, I thought that was a decent return on their investment for, uh, for the Angels, and we'll see if getting back to his original organization brings the best out of Tyler Skaggs, who really struggled last year in the diamondback system. Yeah, no,
0: I, I think they're, they're buying low on Skaggs. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think that you'd have been able to pull off this deal a year ago, so for good or bad. If you look at that from the Angels' standpoint, a year ago Skaggs probably had too much value to be where you get him and Hector Santiago. That's the right. good. That's the good if you want to look at it in an optimistic way. If you're an Angels fan or something, where you say, "Hey, we bought low on him. His velo backed up a little bit. Seemed like he was overthrowing a lot this year for Skaggs. So maybe he kind of figured those things back out this year." At the on the flip side, if you want to be a pessimist, you could say, "Well, Skaggs isn't as valuable now as he was a year ago because." He really took a step back, and, and maybe that's a sign that he's never been a guy who's really kind of got blow-you-away stuff. Maybe that's just a sign that he's really not going to be more than a, a, a back end of the rotation starter at best. So, you know, you can look at it either way. That being said, yeah, I definitely like the move for the Angels. The Angel, I'm doing the Angels top 30. The Angels don't have uh, a whole lot of uh, prospect depth, to put it kindly. But if you picked a position where they have a guy who's not that far away from being able to play. CJ Crone can be, he's not going to be a corner outfielder really, but he could be a DH type. And that's, you know, that's somewhat what Trumbo, the role that Trumbo had with the, uh, the angels. So Albert Poulos likes to play first base. So, so that kind of, they can fill that with, from within much more than they could say that they don't have a starting pitching prospect who's ready or close to ready or two years away from being ready to step into the rotation. So, Getting two young starting pitchers who plug right into the rotation, yeah, that's um, that's pretty valuable for them.
1: That's a great point on Krohn. Krohn had a great fall league, and again, he's not, not as athletic as Trumbo. You could not imagine putting a 20-runner like C.J. Krohn in the outfield. No, 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 no. But from the right-handed bat DH standpoint, he does he can approximate Mark Trumbo sooner than later, I would say. It wouldn't shock me if he hit some of the major leagues in the second half 2014. But we're not here to evaluate those trades. It's fun to talk about those trades, and uh, but let's 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 get to the the matter at hand, JJ, which for us is the Rule Five draft. I, I will uh, lament not being there tomorrow. I will be in the office as early as, well as I can to be along with the Rule Five. Now the Rule Five starts at what? 8 a.m.
0: 9 a.m. I believe. 9 a.m. Yeah.
1: 9 a.m. I believe.
0: No, it's uh, not. When I say 9 Thursday a.m. Morning. I believe it's actually it all is 9 a.m. So.
1: Uh, all the, all the front office guys roll in with their, their with their bags, with their uh, they've all got their luggage. They've all checked out. Um, it's pretty funny to uh, to watch uh, the way the rule five unfolds. And then once it starts, it is rapid fire. It flies. Um, I, it I, makes I, the regular draft seem slow. It flies by. Yeah, it, it flies by. It's it's unbelievable how fast it goes. Roy Krassic rifles through the teams. The teams step up to their little microphones. Make their pick. Um, it is not made for TV, although I, I do think that Baseball America would love to broadcast it and, and stream it live at baseballamerica.com one year with me, you and Matt Eddy providing the, the commentary. It would be a lot of fun. So, uh, we, we can dream.
0: I'd love to do it, but it's not even an event right now that's made for radio. It goes too quickly.
1: <laughs> it does, but it is made for the internet and it is made for Baseball America. And we have a lot of different parts of the Rule Five, you and Matt Eddie's mostly Matt. Uh, But I know you're contributing on this, working on a story about what we could do to jazz up the Rule 5 draft, make it a little bit better, make it a little bit more meaningful. So I want to tease that story. But, JJ, you also, you posted today our latest Rule 5 draft preview. You previewed who would be 40-man roster additions in late November. And soon after that, we had 20 names of uh, guys who were Rule 5 eligible and kind of scouting reports and how likely it would be to get picked. And now this week... With the Rule 5 bearing down upon us tomorrow, we actually have another uh, more recent Rule 5 preview. And there are a few new names added to this list that we didn't have on our first list. And the most prominent name, JJ, that you've unearthed is Marcos Mateo, a right-hander in the Cubs organization. What makes Marcos Mateo such an attractive Rule 5 possibility? Well,
0: you always have teams kind of going down and, and hitting the winter ball to kind of see. You see it in the Arizona Fall League, and you see it in winter ball. Okay, who is maybe adding to their stock to where you say, maybe this guy's worth taking a look at. To me, the the all-time most prominent guy of that is is that Joaquin Soria, really that's the way he was uh, picked in the Rule 5 draft, I guess now what, seven years ago? Six years ago? Yeah, yeah seven years ago. Well, he, he was having a great winter ball, and that kind of really pushed him to, uh, to be a Rule 5 pick. Mateo hasn't pitched a whole lot, in the U in the U S in two years. He, uh, he pitched in the big leagues for the Cubs at the end of 2011, 2012, he had an elbow problem from the best that I can ascertain from the reporting. he, He, they tried to rehab the elbow, you know, that as often as the case, that didn't work. So they ended up having to do the surgery, Tommy John, but because he had worked on rehabbing it and all, instead of it being a, you know, an April or a may surgery, I think it was a little later as far as the surgery, So he ended up missing all of 12. He ended up missing a very good bit of the 2013 regular season. Pitched at the end of the year for Triple A Iowa, and then he's now gone to the Dominican Winter League, the Dominican League this winter. And uh, the thing that jumps out down there is he's having an excellent year down there. 3-0, 0.98, I think 22 strikeouts in like 17 innings. Last six outings, he's 12 strikeouts, no walks, five hits, no runs really pitching well kind of as, as teams put together their rule five pref lists and reports I've gotten from multiple people uh you know who've gotten reports from down there is 95 plus you hear 98 88 89 mile an hour slider you hear maybe 90 on the slider and pretty good slider not just hard but with some bite you, you put that all together and again you're you're talking about a guy who the the injury history is not all that great and you're, you're taking a flyer, but that's a guy who could potentially step in and help you next year. Not as a guy that you have to stash. This is the guy who could help you next year.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's going to be 29 next year. Yeah. You know, it's not, he's not a prospect. Does, he has, he's exactly. He's a
0: guy who you pick up and it would be a very inexpensive addition to a big league bullpen.
1: And that's, I think that's why he's such an attractive possibility He's got 45 innings of big league time. He would not be handbook eligible, uh, 44 games pitched, so he violates the Daniel Bard rule, as we like call it around here. Got to pick somebody else out for that rule since Daniel Bard is flamed out so spectacularly. Um, but one of the things that you did in your preview, uh, J.J., is that you've got Aaron. <laughs> tells you how what mode I get into when I'm in the podcast nook and, and no one's physically next to me. I, I think I'm not going to Aaron fit. <laughs> But you've got the players who can help now category, players who can help later. it um, feel that the players who can help now, the vast majority of them in your preview, and the vast majority of the guys who've helped in the short term in recent years through the Rule Five, since the changes to the rules especially, have been relief pitchers. Every once in a while, there's an Everett Cabrera or a Ryan Flaherty, but more often, it's pitchers, it's relief pitchers, it's guys like TJ McFarland. Or a guy like uh, Reiner Cruz who's stuck, um, you know. So it, again, it seems that the player pool is weighted toward pitchers this year.
0: Oh yeah, and I think a lot of that also is, is just the the nature of the game. If you pick a if you pick one of these guys as a pitcher, especially a guy who can help you now, Brian Moran, another name we hear a lot, uh, Mariners left hander, you know, older brother of Colin Moran. He's a he's a very specialized player. He's probably a one-out lefty, or he's a two-out lefty if you get a situation where there's back-to-back lefties coming up. You don't want him to face a right-hander. He's got a below-average fastball. No other way to put it. It's 84, 88, I think, most nights. But he really gets lefties out. He gets destroyed by right-handers. As a pitcher, he might get picked because you could see a team picking him for that very specialized role. Or if you're taking a guy and you say, okay, well, we think he could pitch the fifth, and sixth, or a swingman role for us, most teams are carrying at least 12 pitchers. You can kind of take a guy for that specialized role. Flip that to hitters. I think Carlos Perez is one of the better players available in this Rule 5 draft. However, the only way you can take a catcher, and that's what he is, the Astros catcher, the only way you can take a catcher, really, you're not going to carry three catchers. So... Almost in almost any example, any case, especially Carlos Perez is a solid defensive catcher who can hit a little bit. He's not a guy that you're carrying. Who, by the way, he plays a little bit of catcher, but is, he's really on the team for the bat. With that being the case, you only can draft him if you project him to be the backup catcher. Because again, you can't Rule Five draft. You can't send the guy down. You got to carry him on the big league roster all year. So. There are very few catchers ever taken. Jesus Flores is the guy I think of you know, over the last really decade is the best success story I can think of because teams don't generally take catchers because they're not confident to say, yes, this guy can be our backup catcher all year next year. So that being the case, again, pitchers, really the types of hitters you see taken are generally either the utility infielder who maybe in some cases ends up being a little bit better than that The Mario Martinez is kind of what you end up getting usually. Everett Cabrera is the absolute upside of that. Um, Or maybe the backup outfielder, which you don't even see a lot of those guys taken. And last year, in a rare example, we saw a couple of uh, first basemen who either have good on-base skills or some power. You know, Nate Fryman ended up being a useful kind of platoon-type guy. But most of the time you're going to see pitchers taken because it's a lot easier to carry a guy as a reliever than it is to carry a position player.
1: Right, I like the idea that you had. Um, when you talk about Carlos Perez, I mean, I do think um, that he's a he's a, an ideal backup catcher in some ways. But what the Astros called up, how many guys ahead of him last year? and Never put him on the forty man roster. They called up Max Stassi from Double A, uh, they called up a couple of veteran guys from Triple A. And I do think that they think Stassi. They I think
0: that they see Stassi as uh, you know more likely going to end up. Playing for them long term than Perez, but I also think that they look at this. They looked at this as far as for the Rule Five and said, you know what? There's a very good likelihood that he's going to pass through, and I think he will. I don't think he's going to get picked now. I put him on this list because I, I think he's one of the better guys available. But if you look at it, the teams that I thought might take him, um, you know, I, I looked at what the Marlins had at catcher last year, and they seem like that they. I, it was a pretty easy test. It was, does Carlos Perez better than the guys they have? The answer really was at one point, yes. I think with the, with the Marlins, but they went out and signed Saltamacchia. They're not going to, they're not picking. They're at 40 right now. Anyway, unless they clear a spot, they're not picking anyone, but they're not picking uh, Carlos Perez now because of that. I don't think there's any chance getting indications. The White Sox, who I thought also might be a fit just because they have a lot of connections to Carlos Perez. But, They've got a couple of young catchers that they kind of want to sort through and all. They're probably not picking Carlos Perez. Once you get past that, you really start running out of teams that seem like natural fits for that. So, again, I think that the, the Astros are going to end up, you know, he's going to skate right on through. And I don't think that that means he's not going to play in the big leagues. I think he will. It means that he won't get picked in this Rule 5 draft, though, probably.
1: And that's the art of setting up your 40-man roster and kind of, trying to define which of these players are going to stick and which ones aren't going to stick and uh, what other teams' needs are, all those kind of things. So I, I did want to – you touched on uh, Brian Moran. Um, I thought that was a just, a, you know, like you said, a lefty righty, such a lefty specialist, 341, 410, 484 slash line for him in A against right-handed pitchers uh, – right-handed hitters. So and he was a guy that we had in the preview last year. Um, I've always thought that he would be a good lefty specialist, but that's kind of about it. A lot of the other names were guys that we had early. I, I we were high a couple years ago on Jakey, Jakey, Buke Buke, Jake Buchanan, ball machine guy who had a really good year in Lancaster a couple of years ago, probably performed better in Lancaster because he relied so heavily on the sinker. Um, and then cut and his cutter, uh, really that's, that's it. He's just a, he is the classic guy, JJ, that we used to talk about who has the Basically, he has four different fastball grips, and that's pretty much what he throws. Mm-hmm. A four-seam fastball, a two-seam fastball, a cut fastball, and a changeup. which if you're taught the right way, by according to some pitching coaches, is a fastball with a different grip. You know, you have to throw with fastball arm speed to sell it, but the grip creates the resistance and creates that pitch that's, you know, seven to ten miles an hour slower than your fastball. So that's pretty much Jake Buchanan. He's got a little slider in there. Um, you know, get a back of the rotation kind of profile. And again, one of the things that we thought, J.J., were teams that were really pitching desperate, like, say, the Angels, we thought would be active, maybe trying to rule five, one of these back of the rotation starter types. But going back to what we talked about earlier, when they trade for Santiago and Skaggs, the need is less there. So it's hard to think of the last time a starting pitcher was rule five and, like, started the next year in the major leagues. Because even a guy like T.J. McFarlane, who I was high on, was – Rule five last year and stuck, but he started twice and was basically a long reliever for the Orioles.
0: Right, it, it's really rare. You, the Angels were the team we thought maybe there'd be a fit for that. They between just not just the trades they've done, but in the minor league free agent market, they've gone out and they've signed Chris Volstad, Wade LeBlanc, guys like that. I, I don't know if necessarily there is that opportunity anymore. Um, you know, because you really, if you take a guy like that, you got to think that there's at least a you know, a 30%, 40% shot that he can kind of fill that role. And with the guys they've added, I don't know if necessarily that's true. The other guy I wanted to bring up, who I, I do think has a very high likelihood of getting popped, is Zach Thornton, the right-hander for the Pirates. Um, yeah. He's a kind of a fun guy to watch. I, it's not really blow-you-away stuff, but he's got a, a funky delivery, really high uh, leg kick, kind of hides the ball, and then, you know, Arm action is not something that you would say is pretty by any stretch of imagination, but the thing that it, it does get him, he gets really good sync. Everything is down in the zone. Everything's located really well. Uh, he's a guy who I could see fitting and, and again, helping a team in 2014. I don't think he's ever going to close or anything like that. But if you told me that he ended up pitching some solid sixth and seventh innings next year, yeah, I
1: could buy that. Yeah, that's him. I mean, that's and, – and, and if you're a baseball America, if you devour everything we do, you may remember Zach Thornton from such stories as Oregon's first recruiting class because he was part of uh, the first recruiting class of the Oregon Ducks when George Horton resuscitated the program. Uh, he was there for three or four years. He had some arm issues there. He's had some arm issues as a pro. Um, you know, Obviously moved from starting into relieving. I, I got a chance to see him in the fall league. Just kind of like what you're talking about. Lives at the knees and down late sink it's not overwhelming velocity there is some funk to his delivery i think you painted a very accurate picture of him my guy on your list that it's kind of my uh cheese ball on here i don't know that' says cheese ball but a guy i do excuse me a guy that i do like is Tyler Ibarra um because it's hard to find lefty relievers but at the same time it is the trend i just was on the plane today out talking with a uh, uh, a baseball guy about this today how Everybody, every team in the big leagues has got a left-hander throwing 95 in their bullpen, it seems. You know, relief pitcher velocity is one of the biggest changes in the game in the last decade. Everybody has a reliever or three or four or five who blows cheddar. And Tyler Ibarra can do that. Um, I don't think he's consistent. I don't think he throws a ton of strikes. And there are good reasons why the Toronto Blue Jays left him unprotected because it's kind of a lottery ticket. But he is a left hander who throws 93 95. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he was probably the second best pitching prospect on Dunedin's team this year after Aaron Sanchez. Um, part of that's because the rest of that pitching rotation, that staff was, I mean, their number two starter and their number one guy in terms of innings pitched was Austin Bibbins Dirks, who was 28. You know, it was the oldest. Indy baller. Yeah, it was the oldest pitching staff in the Florida State League. Austin Bibbins Dirks, also from the Pacific Northwest. He may have faced uh, Zach Thorne once or twice. In their college careers, but I digress. Um, but 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 Ibarra probably was after Sanchez the second best raw arm on that staff. Uh, he he got a couple of looks. And I talked to a couple of people about him in the Florida State League, just because people you know his, his velocity made people notice. So he's erratic, but he does have physicality and he does throw hard. And JJ, that's another thing. There are a lot of guys in here who throw you know pretty hard. Whether it's Marcus Hatley uh or uh, kevin munson danny or barawa. danny barawa there's there are lots of there are lots Anthony of hard Lisbeth, throwers available
0: hector nilo matt lawless i mean yeah there's a number of guys who throw really hard but really most of the guys what the the, the consensus is is throws really hard don't have a second pitch and even if you throw really hard if you don't have that second pitch that's that's probably why you're you're available i also find kind of, right. to me there's a couple of uh Of very interesting, really far away guys who I don't think that there's a team out there who really can stash them, but it'll be interesting to watch. Omar Luis, who, who Ben Badler wrote about for us, you know, Cuban guy who was signed for 4 million. Then they had, they renegotiated the contract down to 2.5, which is still a lot of money, but because they renegotiated it, that means he's eligible right away for the rule for the, you know, you have to be put on the 40 man. If you want to be protected from the rule five, Kind of hard to see a guy who hasn't really pitched in full season ball being stashed on a roster, but he's a kind of a definitely intriguing arm Yankees guy. Um, Junior Arias, who there aren't a whole lot of guys who post 15 homers, 50 plus steals. I mean, that's a that's what he did last year.
1: Yeah, I like that
0: guy. He's got 70 speed at least, maybe you know if you see him on the right day, maybe you give him an 80 on the speed. He's got legit power. Plays center field. That all being said, if you gave him 500 at-bats in the big leagues next year, no one would. But if you did, if he hit 200, you'd be shocked. So it (laughs) it really would be stashing him. And then I wanted to ask you about a guy who, you know, you just did the Cubs list. I don't think Marco Hernandez is going to get picked, but I do think that he's one of the better shortstop talents who's been available uh, in the Rule 5 in a couple years. But, again, the thing about it is is I just don't think – if you carry him, you're doing it knowing there's really not much of anything he can do to help you right now.
1: Yeah, he's if he were a little bit more Everth Cabrera-like, I'd be more excited about him, and he probably would have been protected. But it is interesting; he seemed to generate more buzz with the scouts that I talked to outside the organization than he did inside it. Um, you know, he—I think the Cubs, as an organization, were a little bit frustrated with that entire Kane County infield. Defensively, that Kane County infield was atrocious, mm-hmm. and Marco Hernandez was part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just was not consistent with the routine play. I think he made 29 errors this year, which I, I think I'm selling him a little bit low on that. Uh, but Heimer Candelario doesn't have great range; it's kind of you know that that's his issue. Jhiascar Amaya was very up and down. I think Marco was as well this year. So uh, you know the difference between really, between him and Cabrera. He is athletic, and scouts outside the system did like the athleticism. I uh, think the biggest issue was uh, the, he, he's not a guy who's a burner. You know, Everett Cabrera was a burner, stole a lot of bases. That's just not what Marco Hernandez does. So you're just talking about a, an A-ball middle infielder, so you just wonder how he could help you. You know, how he, wh- how could he survive on a big league roster this year? It's not like he's Arisbel Ari Barriwena, where he's an eight defender. No. He has a chance to be a good defender. Um, so there's something there he does have tools. And like you said, if he, you know, if maybe some of the Matt Eddie design changes could happen in the future where you wouldn't have to stash a guy on the roster the whole year, I don't want to give away too much of Matt's uh, uh, pre- story, how to fix the rule five, these kind of things, maybe it would be doable, but it's just really hard to see a guy surviving, jumping out a low A ball who doesn't have, who's not a burner, who can't come and steal your base. Cause I don't see how he survives or contributes to a major league team and helps you out. J.J., you do have the fever. You are the number one rule five draft proponent right now. But to you, on a scale of one to ten, or on a twenty eighty scale, we'll put it that way, where would you rate the utility of the rule five draft in its current incarnation?
0: Uh, this is painful to say because you just, as you just said, I yes, I, I do have the fever, but I'd be tr- struggling to give it more than a thirty-five, because. Look, there's only going to be probably in the major league portion, and let the minor league portion. Let's do a little ex- explainer on the minor league portion. Guys who aren't on a team's Triple A roster can be picked for a team in the Triple A portion of the draft if they're a tri- if they you know if they're Rule Five eligible. Then there's no offering back. You just you get you pay the, your money, you get the new guy. Then it goes down to the Double A level, which pretty much means that you're not among the top roughly 75 or so, no, that's not enough, 80 that's players or so in the organization yeah. who are Rule 5 eligible, you can be picked in the A portion. You know, you'll see some guys move there You know, as far as guys who can help out a minor league team. You, don't, you very rarely see guys who are going to end up helping a big league team take into those levels. But even at the major league portion, we're probably going to see 10 guys, maybe 15 at the absolute most taken tomorrow if a third of those guys end up sticking on rosters for the full season, that'll be a very good success rate. And of those third who stick, if one of them ends up being a guy who's useful for multiple years for that team, that was a really good rule five draft. So, I mean, I love it. I love the rule yeah, Five absolutely. draft. It's something actually to analyze in the middle of winter beyond just trades. But again, that being said, not a whole lot of impact usually comes out of, it, especially as we've talked about since they changed the rules and now it's an extra year of protection for everyone. That really kind of took away a lot of the value of the Rule 5 draft to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the best thing about it really is that it, it's a $50,000 roll of the dice at most, you know. Um, and I think you also talked about while we were out and in or- or in, uh, down in Orlando together that there was one thing that you heard of was that maybe there'd be more. The six-year free agents who would recently been signed, who could get Rule Fived, uh, guys who get signed to as to, to, to minor league rule f- uh, minor league free agents and aren't put on the forty-man roster, who get poached, just because that seems like that pool of talent is as good as the other guys who weren't protected on the forty-man roster, right?
0: Yeah, but you know, I mean, I, and you might see one or two. I mean, because really, I got you know, I just got a question today on Twitter asking. Hey, is JD Martinez a possibility? And to me, guys like that aren't because JD Martinez was on a 40 man, was just designated for assignment, which means that any team could have picked him up at that point and didn't. And if you had a choice between picking him up and adding him to the 40 man roster and you could drop him whenever you wanted versus or keep him in the minors next year versus another. You know, taking the you know Rule Five where you have to carry him on the big league roster all the next year, it seems like you you would have taken him earlier. That being said, minor league free agent is a little different. Say that there's a minor league free agent that you really like, and he chose to go somewhere else, or you got outbid to 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 sign him. You know, all that kind of stuff. Well, then maybe you if you really liked a guy, maybe you still would take him in the Rule Five draft and. There is right. at least some potential there because what you get to do then is, is, yes, you'd have to carry him on your big league roster all next year, but if you liked him enough that you thought he could contribute, hey, that's not a huge penalty because, again, all these guys are going to be making major league minimum, so you're getting a bargain if the guy can contribute to your big league club next year.
1: JJ, I'm going to throw in a couple more names. You can research these guys if you want to. Just looking over the... Uh... Some of the other names that are possible. I meant to ask you about these guys to research them in uh in Orlando. You could bounce some of these names around tonight. See so if you get anything on uh, Colin Walsh, uh, former Stanford second baseman. He's also played some left field. He's in the St. Louis Cardinals mm-hmm. organization, has some bad speed He draws some walks. Uh did not fare well in double a this year, but in the Florida State League at a 757 uh OPS is a 23-year-old. Um switch hits nominally. Uh, again, there's a little bit of a stretch. He He's like for the better op- offense, less speed version of Mike Freeman, who you threw me a bone in, and put him on the list because I like, I like my left-handed. I like my Adam Kennedy comps. Although this guy doesn't, you know, Mike Freeman doesn't have uh, Adam Kennedy's. Uh, Adam Kennedy never ran as fast as Mike Freeman or stole as many bases, but he had a lot more thump in the bat. Well What say you on Colin Walsh?
0: Uh I could see it. I actually think he is. i i didn't have him on there and I have Mike freeman on there but i I could see maybe a little bit more than Mike Freeman to be honest with you you know but i would put both of them as unlikely but not impossible is how i'd see it he's
1: he has he has some offensive ability um that you know the average rule five draft guy does not have um i I also was just uh, was there a guy? Has Matt Egg been this? He hasn't quite been bitten by the the rule five bug the way you have. Um, I think he's more big picture as opposed to the yes. nitty gritty. Is there anyone who's jumped out to you who'd be a fun minor league rule five pick?
0: I haven't come across one yet. I, I I've, <laughs> you know, I, I I'll, I'll be honest. I haven't looked hard. I mean, even me. And and again, I have a fever of hundred and ten <laughs> on the rule five. But you know, it's just. The, the impact on that is so small. I, I'm, I'm quite happy to let those guys get picked and then analyze it afterwards rather than the other way around. Uh, I'll, I'll be quite happy and okay with okay with that.
1: I'll just say uh, one guy that really fascinates me, and this is I'm, uh, you know, Ricky Romero is on the, I think he could get minor league rule five. Um, he's on the double-A roster. I think the Blue Jays are daring someone to take Ricky Romero.
0: I don't think it's going to happen.
1: <laughs> I, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, he is obviously... Um, I, I believe that uh, George Costanza would make the sound of of the, of the truck backing up. I won't do it, but um, he's backed up uh, and I think he's owed a lot of money. Yeah, that's exactly is guy, why it's this, not going to happen. But this is a guy who threw... 600 innings basically over a span of three years, 2009, 10 and 11 in the major leagues and was a better than average pitcher over that span of time. So I, I just want, I I think the contract is probably makes it prohibitive. Yes. Uh, I think
0: completely prohibitive.
1: It's a pretty, that's a pretty bold move by the Toronto Blue Jays though. You ever seen a player with that prominent on a double A roster?
0: Not that I can, can think of. No, that? no I, I would agree with you on that. I, I can't think of any, anyone who matches that.
1: That—that's—he's that, the guy who just really sticks out to me, um, just being—he does not belong. And, and he signed through 2015, so he is owed seven and a half million this year, seven and a half million next year, so fourteen or fifteen, so fifteen million dollars remaining on that on that contract. With a thirteen million dollar club option for twenty sixteen, but a six hundred thousand dollar buyout. I, I'm so. going to wager
0: that that six hundred thousand is already kind of devoted there, with the expectation like, okay, <laughs> we're, we're, we set that aside because we know we're spending that.
1: I believe that is fair, but uh, but JJ, so we, we we give you a little preview podcast. Obviously, if you're Rule Five, uh, if you have a little case of the fever, maybe a little touch of Rule Five fever. At JJCoop36 is your Twitter handle to follow. JJ, uh, tell people what you're going to do uh, Thursday um, uh, as you guys cover the Rule 5 Live we from Orlando. Be, we
0: will be there tweeting pick by pick. Um, very shortly thereafter, just give us a couple minutes to do some interviews. We'll be you know, posting up basically scouting reports on pretty much everyone taken in the uh, Major League portion. And then... Some sort of line of skinny. We won't go to full two hundred and fifty word scouting reports, but some sort of line of skinny on the guys taking the minor league phase as well. Um, so all that will be up pretty quickly, and I can promise you pretty quickly after the Rule Five Draft, because like everyone else, I mean our bags will be packed and we'll be checking out the hotel because we got a flight to get you know back to, to Raleigh Durham in the afternoon. So it's going to be you know it'll be up there quickly. We'll do some quick instant analysis on Twitter as well. I'm sure we'll get some questions about who won the Rule 5 draft, which I think I don't think there's really going to be an answer to that. I don't think anyone has won the Rule 5 draft in, in quite a while. I think if you went back to, <laughs>
1: yeah, you know, that would be the worst question in Twitter history.
0: Who won the Rule 5 draft? Are you shocked that my team did not take someone and lost the Rule 5 draft? You know, I, I do think a lot of teams are, you're going to hear a lot of pass tomorrow. There's, there's, Again, teams still have, as I put this list together, teams still have some time to clear a spot if they want to. But when I did that, there was pretty much a third of the league is already at 40, so they can't select a guy. Um, And some of the teams who have a spot are pretty skeptical about whether they're going to take a guy or not. I I think I've talked to someone involved with Rule 5 for about uh, at least a third of all the teams in the league. And I've gotten several, I don't think we're taking a guy. Uh, responses. Um, The interesting, the one interesting thing I did want to also bring up was, so we had a a rule five controversy because you had a grievance where there was a grievance from the Phillies because the Cubs had taken Lindy Castillo in 2011 and he had been carried on the active roster 91 days when the rule is you have to be carried for 90 days on the active roster. So he meets that, Mm -hmm. but there was a grievance because, you know, if you fudge the whether a guy's hurt or not, there was I think the Phillies had some belief that maybe they that had been fudged a little bit to keep him in the minors as long as possible and all that. So the result of that grievance was the Cub the Phillies get the Cubs rule five first rule five pick. So that's pick number four, and the Phillies pick seventh. Which is really in some ways, I think probably the least valuable compensation that I've ever seen ever in any kind of <laughs> grievance because Again, the Phillies don't pick 30. If they'd have picked 30, then maybe 4 would have been valuable cuz you move up. They pick 7. So they don't they're at 39 last I checked on the 40 man roster. So theoretically, if they want to, they could take a guy, I just got this confirmed. They could take a guy at 4, immediately trade him for cash or something which would be pretty minor, and then pick another guy at 7. What they can't do is take a guy at 4 keep him and then try to trade the 7th pick cuz then they will be at 40 40 on the roster unless again they clear another spot and so you can't uh-huh. pick if you're already at 40 so if they take a guy that they want to keep at number 4 I really do rank that as one of the more the least valuable draft compensations that has ever occurred is hey congratulations you got a second pick it is a little earlier than the pick you had, but you're not taking two guys in the Rule 5 anyway.
1: I agree. That is really, that does make it very odd. Like, what is the, <laughs> how that, that is about the least valuable compensation you could possibly get.
0: They're jumping up to four, though. I mean, and, hey, and if you've got the fever, that is the kind of Rule 5 minutia that you come to us for.
1: It is, and it's, 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 it's why you have the fever, it's it's what what's makes the it's kind of what makes the fever the fever, it's why it gets that that, that nomenclature. You have to be a little bit sick to get ex- to get excited about the Rule Five Draft, but it's what we do. It, it's one of the it's actually people will be surprised. It's one of our bigger days of the year in terms of web traffic. So um, it's crazy. I love that about our readers.
0: I, I love it. I mean, I've got the fever too. So you know, hey, uh, you're not going to hear any complaining from me.
1: Absolutely. Well, JJ, uh, thank you for making the time amidst all your rule five reporting to podcast about it. And we will try to podcast tomorrow. Uh, I'll see if we can't record it for on our end and, uh, just call you on your phone and, uh, and post game. I would love the post game podcast with you and Matt. Is that possible? tomorrow?
0: It should be doable. I mean, we have to get to the airport at some point. So at that point we can't be productive anymore.
1: I scouted ahead for you. There's free Wi-Fi at uh, Orlando international. Sweet. You guys could even do it from there. So, the the beauties of uh, the the the, beauty of covering the
0: rule five draft. The dull roar. I mean, that would be like us trying to do it from here at the, uh, uh, you know, from here at the lobby. I mean, it would just be too loud to uh, to be audible, probably.
1: (laughs) Yeah, ninety four decibels last night in the lobby.
0: Yes, I, I mean that is the thing that the dull roar of a thousand conversations is something that. You truly have to. You can't fully understand what the winter meeting is like until you experience it at least once.
1: It was pretty loud last night. I mean, my voice is a little bit hoarse from yelling over people to be heard. So, uh, it was. It was a unique. Uh, it was. I, I thought it was pretty good winter meetings, and yesterday was a, a really fun day. Uh, great to start the day. There with you guys in the morning, having a good breakfast, and then uh, coming up here to record the podcast here at the. Worldwide HQ here in Durham. Hey, we got Breaking breaking uh, Rule 5 News. Keep on it down there in Orlando. Hey, John, Breaking breaking Rule 5 5 5
0: News. News. This is exciting.
1: Break it
0: here on the podcast. So, the Padres just acquired a player to be named later or cash from the Astros in exchange for Anthony Bass and a player to be named later or cash. Matt's right here with me. Matt Bass was on the 40 man, was he not? Mm -hmm. So, that does clear a spot. So now the Padres are in. They can now pick in the Rule Five draft. I'm all excited. <laughs> Another team that could take. Oh, uh, that eye. is
1: breaking news. So had to share so that before we uh, wrap this up. Uh, that just a little window into 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 Rule Five syndrome. Into the I love insanity it. that is my life right now. Great stuff. All right, JJ, tweet it. And we'll look uh, forward to your reports on BaseballAmerica.com tomorrow for J.J. Cooper and in the background there, Matt Eddy. I'm John Manuel. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.